Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, uh, October, in October, I've got an event coming up in October that, that I, I'm, I'm terrified about. Uh, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite daunted by this event in October, see, because in October, it's, it's my 20-year school reunion. <laughs> high school, by the way, some of you think of primary school. No, high school. <laughs> My 20-year high school reunion, and the reason that I'm terrified is I suffer from OCD. Um, that is obsessive comparison disorder, right? And so um, school reunions for a person that suffers from obsessive comparison disorder, you know, that's like telling someone who's afraid of heights that you're going to take them abseiling. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... And, and I, I, I envy a lot of you older members of the church. I really do. I envy you because, look, it was only a couple of decades back... You know, only, only a couple of decades back that you'd, you'd have to wait until your 20-year reunion in order to see how much better off everyone else is doing in life. <laughs> right? But, uh, and, 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 and why I envy you too is that, that you could go to your 20-year reunion back then and, and you could just fake it. I mean, you could hire a BMW for the night, borrow someone to be your spouse, borrow a suit, some good clothes. You've just got to turn up for the night and that's it. People think that you have made it, Right? <laughs> But these days, our generation, well, we've, we've got the wonderful blessing of social media. We've got social media. It's awesome. I mean, we now have the opportunity because of social media to compare ourselves to people every single day. Right? Oh, my work job's so amazing. Look at me flying on this plane today. I love my work. Oh, my child sleeps all through the night. Oh, so precious. <laughs> Oh, I, you know, I just, me and my wife, yeah, we do this, we do this snuggly thing all the time. That's how our marriage always is. We're cuties. <laughs> right? We, we, we get to see this all the time. What a blessing that is. <laughs> so I, I want to, I want to talk to you for the next uh, couple of weeks about this um, bad habit that I have, OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. And I sense in talking to people that I'm not the only one with this bad habit. You see many articles, you particularly see it, we'll talk about it in a second, that the, the millennial generation now, studies are coming out with, uh, under the banner of social comparison theory to say that this obsessive comparison uh, between people and through the vehicles of things such as social media is causing us more stress, more anxiety, more depression than we've ever seen before. It's a sickness. It's a disease. It's a trap. It's a comparison trap because here's, here's, the reason it's a trap is you think you're going well and then you realize that someone is, someone is always a little bit further up the ladder than you. you. You realize that no matter how many rungs you get up, so there's always someone on a different rung that always seems to be just there. Have you ever felt that? That, uh, that there is there's someone who's always just ahead of you, someone who's always just a, you know, a little bit more. There's always someone with a bigger er. E-R, someone who is always smarter, or stronger, or richer, or prettier. Have you noticed that? There's someone who's, there's, there's always an er. And to make things worse, once you've been through all that list, then you just, then you just go through all of your other friends, and you go through all that list. <laughs> you see, your friends' kids are smarter, and prettier, and braver, and, and you, just, you just do that all over again. There's always someone with a bigger er when you're climbing up that ladder. And then, and then what do you do to fix this? 
when you see that, when, you've, when you see all of that bigger earth, then the way that you fix this is you just go the other side. And you go, well, there is this someone who's always heavier, weightier, dumber, right? That's, and, and as a result, you get to feel superior. <laughs> we, fix, we fix the problem. You know the stupid thing about all of this? We don't even want to be an er. We want to be an est. We want to be the smartest and the strongest and the richest. We, we don't even want to be an er. We want to be an est. Or maybe that's, not, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're totally different from all of that. You don't get that. You're not that sort of person. That's not me. That's because you don't dislike the people who are up in, 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 in the other rungs of the ladder to you. You don't, like, you, don't, you, you don't hate the people you compare yourself to. You can't stand you. You don't worry about them. You're just, you're just worried about you. You say, I'll never be as blank as them. And you beat yourself up and you eat yourself to death or you diet yourself to death or some people cut themselves. Or they medicate themselves. Or they intoxicate themselves. Here's the bottom line. There is no win in compare I sin. There's no win in compare I sin. That's what it is. You know, why? Please diagnose a problem for me, pastor. You know, I want to give you an above ground analysis this morning and then I want to give you a below ground analysis I want to give you an above ground analysis here, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 to 8. This is Solomon, one of the wisest guys that ever lived. This is a guy who, by the way, Solomon in all of his glory, this is a guy who wasn't just, didn't climb up the ladder, like the guy owned the ladder. <laughs> he, he's the top rung. If you ever want to hear the wisdom of a top rung sort of guy, it's this guy. And this is what Solomon says here. And I got to the top of the ladder. That's the Sam Amplified version. <laughs> I got to the top of the ladder and all I saw was that toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. So if you want a real, real glimpse of what it means from a guy who's, who's reached the top of the ladder, it's all chasing. It's meaningless because he describes an engine here, which you know the biblical, biblical background here and the, the paradigm it's, this is actually showing us the engine for economic growth there's economics in this here from the bible and it's saying we're constantly driven by our envy of one another three thousand years ago this guy looks around gets to the top of the ladder looks around and sees people competing people working people out shopping each other people studying while looking over their shoulders people making decisions based on what everyone else had he saw People determining who they were based on what everyone else had. We wouldn't do that today, would we? You know, that's just that's an ancient problem, isn't it? We're, we're a modern people. We we wouldn't we wouldn't do that, right? Uh, Emerson Sorber from the Harvard Harvard Business Review wrote an article called "The Problem with Millennials: They're Way Too Hard on Themselves." The millennials, by the way, are the generation that are slightly younger than I am, the young adults of our church. <laughs> there we go. See? 
She said, we're a generation that is ruthlessly comparing ourselves with those around us and our role models at the same time. And if we're not doing something exceptional or don't feel important or fulfilled for what we're doing, we're having a hard time. The ruthlessness of this comparison creates anxiety and uncertainty in oneself. The ruthlessness of this comparison creates anxiety and uncertainty in oneself. There is no win in compare, I sin. How's it a sin? Here, look. The competing is the above ground analysis. Here's the below ground analysis. Comparison is a sin because the sin beneath the sin of comparison is really the sin of pride. People are constantly envying each other. It's it's the sin of pride. What is pride? Pride is using pride is you using you as the benchmark for you. That's what pride is. Pride is you using you as the benchmark for you. Pride is you using your identity, uh, your own sense of self, your own whatever you're doing is your sense of identity. And so we say often here that sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds. Sin is building an identity on someone or something other than God. And that's why pride's a sin, not just because the Bible says it, it says so. God has so created us that that he has formed us and he speaks identity into us. But pride seeks to create an identity for ourselves. And watch what happens if we do this. If, if, if we are prideful and we are building an identity on me, then I must be the one at the centre of that identity. And if I'm at the centre of that identity, then the only way to build that sense of identity is through pride. And the way, only way to build pride in oneself outside of God is to be a bigger er. See how it works? The only way outside of God that you can give yourself an identity is to be better and stronger and richer and prettier and smarter. And the only way to have an identity outside of God is simply to say to yourself, I'm just not going to be on the bottom rung. And so we climb and we climb and we climb. And if we do this long enough, it gets out of hand and it gets dangerous. Some of you are carrying debt because you don't want to feel like you're on the bottom rung and you've been staring at people that have got more stuff than you. Some of you are dieting yourselves to death because you look at other errs who are prettier or thinner and you think you need to be that way to be someone. Some of you are driving your kids nuts because if we're real with ourselves, we didn't achieve what we wanted to achieve and so we're going to try and do it through our kids and we want our kids to be smarter and prettier and it's our way of divorcing ourselves from the situation and the dynamic. Not pride in me, but pride in my kids. Some of you are working yourself to death academically and practically. You're just working yourself to death. Not just for the sake of providing for yourself, but for building yourself. Some of you can't get along with older brothers and sisters because they've got more than you have. Or they've done better than you have and you're ruining the relationship. And most of us, we're constantly opening browsers and, and, and apps and TVs. And we're constantly shown things and reminded of, of things, what or who we will never look like, who or what we'll never drive, who or what we'll never date, who or what we'll never marry, who or what we'll wear, who or what we'll accomplish. We compare ourselves to people that we don't even know. We don't even know them. It's crazy. Why? Because pride. 
pride in those moments. I'm building me on me. And so can't you see? There's no win in compare I sin. And here's the source of the sickness. C.S. Lewis said it so brilliantly. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of, out of having more than the next person. He goes on to say, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. And I love this line. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. (laughs) It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. And if I'm a proud person then... Don't miss this. Then as long as there is one person in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, then they are my rival and my enemy. Can you see the source of the sickness? That was from mere Christianity. See, there's, there's no win in compare I sin. And so that's why this guy, Solomon, the guy at the top of the ladder, the one that's been there, He's like, he was, he was like a, a, a good version of a Trump. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he was in the tower. He was the richest dude in the city. He'd done it all. He'd achieved it all. He'd done all of that. And he gives us further insight why there's no win in the proposition of compare I sin. And that's the only point that I want to make to you this morning. I think you might be getting it by now. <laughs> but he says there's no, there's no win in that. And let's, let's look even deeper at the below the, the surface level why. Here's a question for you. Have you ever looked back and stopped for a moment and, and realized that, that what you have now is, is probably at one point in time what you've always wanted? <laughs> yeah, what happens? I'm sure I could look around this room and we're still striving. We're still pushing. We're still working. Why is that? Well, look at this, uh, Solomon, verse 5. He, he contrasts something, something that's a very fascinating verse. He says here, the fool folds their hands and ruins themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, it all sounds very poetic, but here's, here's the fascinating picture. Now, what he's saying first and foremost is all work just by itself ruins you. All work just by itself ruins you. Uh, The two handfuls of toil there is saying it ruins you. That's the person who's absolutely clutching on to their work and doing everything. Uh, It it, it ruins them because in many ways there's there's no space for God in that sort of life. And so they're the person that's held onto onto the work or the job or the kids or the family or whatever it might be to, to, to be me building me. That's what, that's what that is there. But then it also says the fool folds their hands and ruins themselves. So what, what he's describing there is, is the person that's done the, 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 two, the two hands worth of work, work, work. Maybe you've seen these in life. Maybe you've been this sort of person and it's unfulfilling and it breaks you down and it wears you down. And so what happens? You just give up. Well, I just give up. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be there. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to be like them. So you know what? You, you fold your hands. They give up. And so, so all work ruins you. On the other hand, you give up, and then what happens with people that give up work? Are they happy? No. 
So no work ruins you also. And so he, he shows a, a fine balance in here. They're hard work, no work. They're both ruined. But then what does he suggest? Look at this. He says, better one handful with tranquility. And so what he's really saying there, the word there, the Hebrew word, is it, it, says, it says quietness, not just quiet. It's quietness. So what he's, what he's saying in there is that, that what you really need is a handful of quietness while you work. And not just peace and quiet. I can understand my need for that at the moment with three, three kids under five. I need a handful of quietness. <laughs> no, what he's, what he's really saying is that you need a deep kind of rest that exists at exactly the same time as all of your hard work. And I'm not talking about, again, as a father of three, the sort of rest where I get my six hours sleep for the, for the night. Now, what he's saying is that the whole reason behind all of this, the whole reason why you need this handful of, 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 of rest when you work is that we are constantly working, not for the work, but the work beneath the work. In other words, we're constantly working to prove ourselves. Constantly working to prove ourselves to other people. That's comparison. Constantly working to prove ourselves to ourselves half the time. That's, that's the person at the other end of the spectrum. Or at that deepest level, the spiritual level, to, we're working to prove ourselves to God. That's what religion is. And so can you see, you, you need a deep rest. You need a deep rest like that REM sleep. You know, the one where your eyes sort of go back in your head and, and you're flicking around. And you know what I mean by REM sleep? No, the deep sleep. You can get apps for this stuff now that tell you when your heart rate drops and you get it for about three hours. And if you get three hours of REM sleep a night, then that's all you need. So in other words, what he's saying is handful of tranquility is, is simply this. You need some REM sleep for the soul. For most of us, we just need a rest from ourselves. Can you imagine what would happen if we got that? Can you imagine if we could just enjoy life for life? Can you imagine if we could just enjoy work for work? Whatever that work might be and how you define it. That's the sort of promise that... The writer is saying here that that's, that's the diagnosis from Solomon here, the guy at the top of the ladder. Now, hear this. You might not be a religious person today. Maybe your friend's invited you. Maybe you've walked in off the street. You've seen us on the website. You think, look, you know, that's, that's, all for, that's all for those spiritual types or my friend here that's a believer, but I'm not. Look, I, I, I want to I push a button in, in, into you at the moment if that is you. And can I suggest that what the Bible is saying here is this is not a spiritual issue. This is a human issue. That all of us, whether we know God or not, have a deep sense within ourselves that we, we feel that we're somehow inadequate. That, that we're not quite there as much as we try to self-talk ourselves into the, the possibility of things. We sense, the Bible describes it in Romans, that we all sense that we have fallen short of the glory of God. doesn't mean that you're a bad person. We just... We just sense because we know this incessant voice within us. If it, if it weren't there, why, why, why are we still hearing it all the time? So we all sense that there's this, this sense of an inadequacy and at the deepest level. 
we feel that we're, we're not quite adequate enough. And, and for some of us, we've been blaming our parents, we've been blaming our upbringing, we've been blaming our sisters and our brothers, our ethnic group, we've been blaming our lack of opportunities. And maybe if you're really mad at him, you just blame God. And the, the Bible says, hey, look, you're not looking deep enough. The reason why we're working so hard and we're pushing and we're striving and we're performing is because we're all working and performing to make me out of me. What if we could find a rest from that? Well, here's the real issue this morning. The real issue is what or who am I going to use as the reference or benchmark to say that I'm okay and I'm doing all right? If the source of pride is just me building me, then, then what sort of reference is going to tell me that I'm doing okay and that, that I'm all right? Uh, the, Solomon again says, verse 4b, this too is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind, this working, this performing. It's all meaningless in the end. If, the, if that's the case, if it is meaningless, if there is no finish line, if there is always going to be an er in front of you, what's 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 going to be your mark? What's going to be your kilometer marker? What's going to be your mirror? What's going to be your benchmark? What is what's going to be your reference point? Your neighbors? Your boss? Your siblings? Your kids? The next door neighbor? Your beauty? Your achievement? Your UAI? <laughs> your size? Your status? Your recognition? We've got to decide, church, what that reference point is going to be. And I can tell you, if, if, it, if it's outside of God, and if there is no God, then I've pretty much just listed the pool of all of your wonderful choices ahead of you. <laughs> but if there is a God, if there is one who declares over you that you are chosen, that you're holy, that you're dearly loved, that you have been purposed, I could get started on a whole new sermon, but I've got to save that up for Adrian next week. <laughs> okay? If, if that is the case, then we're talking about something radically different. Hold that bookmark for next week. But there are the, we have to make a choice as to where that, that reference point's going to be. And I suggest that many of us that have sat over here using these wonderful tools of neighbours and jobs and schools and degrees and bank accounts probably already have felt that they're insufficient. So in the meantime, I'm going to give us some space, some in-class homework to get you started. Are you okay with that class? Yeah. Okay. I want, to, I want us to take a couple of minutes to answer these questions. Write it down in your phone. Write it down on your little notebook. We're going to spend just a couple of minutes asking ourselves this. Are you exhausted from trying to keep up with fill in the blank? Are you broke from trying to keep up with fill in the blank? Are you allowing what others have to keep you from enjoying what you have? Are you allowing what you don't have to keep you from enjoying what you do have? Let's just let God do a little bit of work in this. My hope and prayer is that we're one step closer to curing a disease that's been around for 3,000 years this morning. I hope that we're one, one step closer for many of us here in curing OCD.
obsessive comparison disorder. It's been around for ages. I was, I was reminded of an almost humorous story just then in that moment that I looked up for all of us. It's that great story when Jesus had, had been killed, he was resurrected, the, the boys are having a, a sad little wake on the beach, eating a little bit of fish, and Jesus turns up, the resurrected Jesus, has a big conversation with them, gets them on their way. And he's talking to Peter. He says, feed my sheep, that passage that we know well. Then this great little interaction where Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. That was John, the one that wrote the book. So a little bit, little bit of pride there. <laughs> Peter turned to the disciple, saw the one whom Jesus loved following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? comparison and Jesus said if I want him to remain alive until I return what's that to you you must follow him great the the greatest antidote you must follow me the greatest antidote for comparison the comparison trap is to set our eyes on Jesus Christ the author and the perfecter of our faith May we do that as we step into this week. May we do that as we continue to get ourselves out of the comparison trap. (laughs) But all I want us to remember this morning is we know that it's a no-win proposition. There is no win in compare, I, sin. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.